Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Mellow She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my returning guest is David Pepper. He's a lawyer, a writer, a political activist, former elected official, and an adjunct professor. He's also served as the chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party between 2015 and 21. He's the author of several books, and his latest is Laboratories of Autocracy, a wake-up call from behind the lines. We have a lot to talk about, but before we get into it, The Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener-funded, and woman-run. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup to see the variety of tiers offered, including the option to get two bonus What's Up episodes per week. Kind of like my online journal where I get a little more personal and talk about whatever is on my mind. There's also an ad-free tier with a much shorter intro. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Now please enjoy my conversation with David Pepper. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you. Great to be back with you. The other night I was watching MSNBC and there you were. (laughs) I was like, I need to invite him back to my show. And obviously you were talking about the toxic spill in Ohio and we're going to get to that in a moment. But I'm just going to jump right into this because I thought about you a lot during the, uh, you know, uh, the election last year and your book, um, Laboratories of Autocracy. I know Axios, I'm sorry, Axios wrote uh, an article, Democrats quietly enter 2023 with momentum at state house level. So uh, Democrats' unexpected strength in 22 uh, extended the state legislatures where they picked up seats in 21 states and took control of five chambers from the GOP. So um, your book, Laboratories of Autocracy, you focus on the importance of state houses and basically the local legislatures and how, you know, in the past, GOP figured out how to basically go in there and win all those seats for the longest time. I mean, we know the Koch brothers did it. So what what I want to ask is, do you feel that Democrats are finally getting it? What did they do right and what do they still need to improve? That's a great uh, question. Yeah, I think, you know, November 22 was was not the end of the battle for democracy. And I worry a little bit that the Democrats, like we often do, yeah. think that, you know, some wins mean we won everything. And right. we learned from 08 and 2020 that that's definitely not the case. Yeah. But to me, the most hopeful two things that happened uh, last November were, one, we didn't allow an election denier to win mm-hmm. a single sector of state race, mm-hmm. which was really key Mm -hmm. but two that we went against the grain of of history and recent history but also long-term history by gaining state houses even when we had the white house Mm -hmm. and that isn't an accident it there there is a growing recognition and some and some infrastructure building now it's building from the bottom up as opposed to top down but there is some infrastructure building that is starting to convince people uh that democracy is shaped in state houses and if we if we pay attention we can fight back and if we don't we can keep losing Mm -hmm. and some and i i once i wrote my book and you and i talked probably a year and a half ago about it Mm -hmm. i got i began to meet some of these people and i did everything i could you know i was on call after call with some of these some of these groups that were forming and basically it was a whole lot of people at the more grassroots level adopting state houses and state house candidates in the states where we saw these victories you know giving them money volunteering their time and they've been so overlooked and it still are that the money and the the support that was gathered really added up for them Hmm. 
in a way that they were competing with what what's what's typically thrown at them without a response. And you know, it managed to close the gap in Pennsylvania, close the gap in Michigan. Yeah. You'll pick up the Minnesota Senate, and it's definitely you know it's the best lesson of 22 is to keep going with that. And I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be both worried or optimistic about 24. Mm -hmm. But what we have to do as much as anything is use the presidential year to not just win the presidency, but build on those state house Mm. wins. Win the Arizona state house, make more gains in Michigan, because that is really where they've been crushing us when it comes to democracy for a generation. Mm -hmm. We finally are seeing some pushback and and we, we just need to learn and keep building from that. Do you think that the behavior, the current behavior of the mega Republican Party, I mean, because basically, even though there might be a few people in there who are fairly normal and somewhat sane, they're keeping most of them are keeping their mouth shut um, and their behavior is ridiculous. But do you think that that behavior is going to benefit Democrats now? But I, I asked that question, understanding that these right wing extremists are dangerous and they can do damage right now. Yeah, I mean, so I- it's terrible what they're doing as a messaging thing it's very bad for them mm-hmm. so so if if we just keep seeing what we saw with the mccarthy vote and <laughs> what marjorie taylor green lauren boberts every day and if it's all it is is you know hunter biden's laptop from mm-hmm. jim jordan for two years i think i think we our goal should be to win every single one of the 18 <laughs> congressional seats that they won that biden won mm-hmm. I mean, so i think on one side they are giving us a messaging gift that all they care about are these things that frankly most Americans don't care about. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, they're not kidding. Mm-hmm. And that's the scary part. I mean, we now have a, have a house run by people who were insurrectionists or part of the planning. And so the worry is that as much as it, it's, it helps us sort of at a messaging standpoint, what should scare us and what we need to be on guard for is if they try if they act upon the crazy rhetoric Mm -hmm. which clearly some of them seem like they would do yeah if given a choice like you know whether you're merrick garland or the fbi or someone else you need to be ready to stop it because you don't you only get so many chances to stop insurrections they tried it once and so you know yes it's it's helpful messaging wise but when it goes from message to action, mm. we have to be more, you know, proactive. Mm-hmm. We have to take it more seriously because, again, they they came close on January sixth to 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 killing people. I mean, yeah. honestly, there's no there's no easier way to there's no. They it was scary, and yeah. that should scare us into being prepared for the worst, but knowing that at the same time. The brand they are projecting is not good for them. I mean, long term, it's just not good politics for them to be extremists, you know, part of criminal conspiracies to overthrow governments. That That's how you lose Arizona and Michigan long term. When you say that we have to be, we should be more prepared. When you say we, who are you? Are, are you referencing all of us, the voters or the party or all, you know, different? I mean, on that one, I mean voters. I also mean, I mean, and I don't. I know there's a lot of back and forth on this, but I mean the DOJ. Mm-hmm. I mean local prosecutors. Gotcha. I mean, we need to. We have an accountability crisis right now. Yeah. That, that that some of the most extreme and abnormal forms of politics that 
are crossing lines that should be actionable, there's never any accountability. Mm -hmm. And that's an invitation to the worst of them to go further. And so I think that it's for, for voters and politicians, you know, just being prepared for it, for, you know, we clearly – there were all sorts of rumblings about January 6th that no one was prepared for. And I don't mm -hmm. mean to sound so dark and gloomy. I, I think we can have a, actually a very good 24 if we do mm -hmm. things well. But I also think that, that, that there is a growing element that, that clearly is excusing January 6th mm -hmm. would, you know, as Marjorie Taylor Greene said, would do it again. And mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think we should view that as only politics anymore. Yeah. And that, that's where the powers that be need to treat it, you know, in a way that, that they're ready for it. And if that type of thing ever, you know, look at what happened in Baltimore with the attempt yeah. to, to, you know, destroy a city. I mean, mm -hmm. this stuff is getting so serious that I think that, that the powers that be and law enforcement, other places, prosecutors, you name it. And by the way, one thing that I that I get frustrated with, and I this is why I really give credit to the, I, I hope the Atlanta prosecutor, the sorry, the, 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 the Georgia prosecutor, mm -hmm. a lot of the things that are happening do violate state law mm -hmm. and that's one other when you say who you know I, I when i was the party chair of ohio and nothing happened here but i wish it had when they were shutting down the mail system it was it was pretty clear to me that they were trying to make voting more difficult mm -hmm. I mean, maybe i'm too conspiratorial but <laughs> that seemed pretty obvious to me mm -hmm. well it's a it's a it's a felony in most states to interfere with the delivery of 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 mail votes mm -hmm. um well, why wasn't that looked into by anybody? I just yeah. think that we have a we have a problem that people are doing some really bad things, and except people who actually walked through the doors of January of the Capitol, January six, very few people are are feeling any accountability for what they're doing. And I think beyond just messaging or running for office, I think those in those at the levels of office that are supposed to hold lawbreakers accountable need to be doing that aggressively at, at all levels. Do you think part of the reason that that's not happening is because our, you know, our DOJ, our government, et cetera, has been infiltrated with some of these right-wing extremists? Um, I don't, I don't know about that. I, I, I just think it's been just, it's just been a little slow. Like mm -hmm. I, it looks like the special prosecutor is now doing some of the things that, that again, I, I don't want to claim to be an insider, but but right. <laughs> it just it, in the grand scheme of things to see that the U.S. House and major committees are now in the hands mm -hmm. of the very people who were talking with mm -hmm. Trump about January 6th, even you know seeking pardons, something's wrong with a country that lets that happen. Yeah, that Definitely. they are now yeah. in charge. And one reason they're in charge is because gerrymandering benefited so much in the states they control mm -hmm. that they were able to get a majority, even though most people don't agree with what happened on January yeah. 6th. Wow. And, the fa and when, you, when you now see the guy who led it all running around the country, running again, I mean, it, it, it's just something is a, just a little too slow in our system that all that's happening. I mean, if you were looking at how to run a government, this would not be what you'd expect to be happening. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to get into to all the reasons why. And, and obviously, there's a lot of, you know, one of the best parts of our country is we have procedures in place yeah. that you have to have due process. Of course, we have to do all that. But I don't think there's been a, uh, the, to me, I just have not sensed the urgency around accountability at all levels that, that we need. I mean, and when I say accountability, I'm talking also about 
states like Ohio, where law, where where the legislators vi- violate the Ohio Constitution numerous times to lock in an illegally gerrymandered map. Yeah, and they've never been held accountable. And that map is the map that Jim Jordan was elected on. Yes, it's just once you allow open law breaking by political leaders to to not only not lead to accountability but actually to go into effect you're sending a signal that mm-hmm. that's now the new normal and all that i think that's why as as a matter of politics it may give us openings that we should take advantage of as a matter of governance and a rule of law this is all very very damaging stuff and i think we have to find more accountability and ways to render accountability so it doesn't keep happening or frankly getting worse yeah definitely um I want to ask you something, and I don't think that there's an easy answer, but maybe you have something to say. But, you know, you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene basically calling for secession. And I know, you know, I mean, at least from my perspective, in the Twitter world, in the social media world, voters and social media users are quick to ridicule her. And, of course, she deserves that, but she's dangerous. And so I I would like for you to at least do your best to explain that danger that she poses because I think sometimes we get lost there's a little bit especially on the democratic side a little bit of hubris and we think that oh we're so much smarter than that person therefore we have the upper hand but as we've seen yeah. somebody like Trump can get in and I, I just I want you to weigh in on that the danger that these kind that these people pose because yeah we can we can post all the monkey pictures but that's not mm-hmm. solving anything <laughs> yeah no I agree I mean we we have to we have to make sure this does not get normalized yeah yeah um and and our our response to these things really matters Mm -hmm. and even if there was ways to seek accountability for that in congress or trying to we should um call it out Mm -hmm. put forward something formal in in congress let the let the let kevin mccarthy get all nervous as he tries (laughs) to deal with it at least do something you know, there, I was talking to a, a messaging expert I really respect. You, if you haven't had him on sometime, you should. Drew Weston. Okay. And he's re- he wrote a book called The Little that he and I were talking about. Wait, was, wait, you just went out. What was the book that he wrote? Uh, uh, the Political Brain. Okay. Okay. And he has many. I mean, every time you talk to him, it's incredible messaging guidance. Um, but, but one of the things he talked about is meta-messaging. Which is the message you send, not by the word, by your words, but by your actions. Hmm. And when we don't respond quickly to things like January 6th or things like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said, if we, if all we do is tweet or say a few words, we don't take any action. Mm-hmm. Then people are read more from our inaction than they do from our words, and they right. they would think, for example, well, you're saying January 6th was a coup attempt. But since no one even tried to hold anyone accountable, yeah. you must not really mean it because you yeah. didn't act like it was. Um, yeah, or, good you point. Know, you say Marjorie Taylor Greene calling for secession is a is a horrible thing, but if only you, if all you did was tweet about it, it must not have been that bad because if it was that bad, you'd do something about it. Yeah. And I think the meta messaging that we keep sending through total inaction, but maybe a few, you know, tweets back or a few words. Or not doing more quickly on January 6th or whatever, we're sending a meta message, one, to the to the people doing it that they'll never be held accountable so mm-hmm. they keep doing it. We're sending a message to all those who aren't paying that much attention or tired of the rhetoric. Well, they're just talking too because they're not, they're not acting consistent with their mm-hmm. words. 
And number three, let's say there's some people who actually are very concerned about it all, and they're actually willing to fight a little harder. Well, if they don't see the leaders fighting for mm-hmm. it, they're going to think, well, why should I if the people who, who are saying they care about it, if they're not willing to, you know, I don't know, stand in the well of the Senate for four days and make an argument about voter protection or voter suppression or something, if they're not willing to, to show conviction for what they believe, why should I? So I think our meta messaging is in many ways inconsistent with hmm. our words and to a lot of people who are especially less political – the fact that we're not doing more yeah. tells them we must not really mean it. I mean, there was a, you know, what, what would you expect to see if you really thought it was a criminal conspiracy against the government to take over January 6th? You would expect some of the higher level leaders to be in trouble by now. Mm-hmm. And if, if you don't see that, if you're not paying attention, you're thinking, well, they must not have really been that involved or they'd be right. in trouble. They're not. Yeah. So I think that's, a, and, and that's how I would think about the Marjorie Taylor Greene response yeah. or others uh, that we I think we have to show more fight and seek more accountability if we really think it's as bad as what we say it which by the way it is terrible yeah I mean what she is doing there if not to get crazy with my analogies but they they always are sticking out to me hey too many states are woke let's leave i mean that's the civil war yeah that's exactly what happened after lincoln won <laughs> yeah hey we don't like the result of that election this guy uh doesn't want southern states have slavery we're out of here well that's mm-hmm. she's calling a bunch of states woke and saying let's leave. it's the same literally mm-hmm. the exact same mindset mm-hmm. so yeah it's an alarming thing to say especially when you know that she controlled a lot of who ended up being speaker of the house mm-hmm. of the united states yeah it's just insane that that's the fact, but yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. Well, we have to take a quick break, but we'll be back after this message. Hey, this is Kimberly. If you're not already my patron, just visit patreon.com slash start me up. You can take a look at all the tiers and decide how you want to support the show. Thank you so much. Spark your creativity with The Sims. Sometimes you might feel like you're not creative and you have to go in search of your creative spark again. Maybe this is catching up with creative friends, experimenting with a new look, or trying out a new recipe. And thanks to The Sims, inspiration is just one game and one spark away. Ready to spark something? Download The Sims 4 and play for free. Okay, we're back. Um, now, what I want to I wanna switch over to this, um, and I'm just curious what you think. I was, you know, I watched some MSNBC at night and I can never remember who said what because I watched like three shows, but off and on. So I saw somebody talking about the fact that there are Republicans criticizing DeSantis right now for punishing companies basically for pro- political reasons, you know, Disney, etc. And so I know obviously the GOP primaries are going to be one for the bucks, but what do you anticipate happening as a result of all like you know you're seeing the GOP extremists and we all know we know that there's Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, all those kinds of people. Then we've got the Ron DeSantis kind of mega and he's doing what he's doing. We saw them, well we saw the Supreme Court take Roe down. So the next 2 years are going to be I, I mean, I don't even know. I, I, I do know that the Republicans are going to behave the way they are behaving now, and I assume that they're going to get worse. 
But like, what do you think is going to come from this as far as what voters? I mean, we also I just have to throw in there that, yeah, sometimes the media isn't helping because the reporting is not based on fact. It's based on clicks and what they think is going to get the most attention. So what do you think that the, the, the behavior of the GOP, how will that affect us in the next two years? As we approach this election, do you think that it's going to ultimately, I mean, you kind of answered this, but more specifically, do you think it's going to help Republicans? Do you think it's going to help Democrats? And then what do you think we can do, people, voters can do? I, I think in the end, it, they, I believe they are too off the rails to help themselves. I mean, they, the lesson of, you know, why did those sector state candidates lose? Because they, they, they came to rep, the, the election denying ones, they came to rec- uh, reflect just a toxic ex- not just about elections but about the whole package of, of anti-abortion and yeah. and January 6th and lawlessness and and um, and rather than learning from that they're all doubling down and that's what's going to happen in most primaries too by the way and that's who's left standing in their party so I think it actually presents you know, again, take it seriously as a, as a, as a non-political matter, but as a political matter, I think it presents a huge opportunity. I mean, again, there are, I think it's 18 uh, Republicans in seats that Biden won. Mm-hmm. We, should, we should get rid of all those 18. They, are, they yeah. are being represented by a brand that should not win in the district if Biden won it. Um, I think, you know, the Senate map's a little tougher, but I actually think this should greatly help uh, help our candidates and Senate seats. You know, in, in Ohio, who won by 25 points? A more moderate-feeling governor Republican. Who only won by six? J.D. Vance, because he mm. felt like MAGA. Yeah. Their their better brand is their moderate brand. They're rejecting that brand. That that opens up huge opportunities. So I think it. I think whatever. Sh- I mean, I've already seen it with Nikki Haley's announcement. Mm-hmm. They're all going to be going into just crazy land. <laughs> yeah. And I. And by the way, book. Just so people know, because I think one one mistake Democrats make is we often get bullied into thinking that we're somehow in the minority. Yeah. Because they sound so mean and angry on some issue, we think that oh my gosh, she must be onto something. You know, right. wrong. Uh, <laughs> Mehmet Oz lost because of abortion. Yeah. And, and because of what he said about you know doctors, patients, and political leaders mm-hmm. being in the room. <laughs> um, that's why Gretchen Whitmer. That was one reason she did so well. And I'm going get into this thing. Banning books is really unpopular. Mm-hmm. Most Americans don't think it's good to be <laughs> no. banning books about racial discrimination or history. That's not a popular thing. So I think they are leaning into potentially toxic issues. Now, of course, we just stick to our issues, too. Mm-hmm. But don't just run away from the issues they're bringing up. Take them to their logical extremes. Again, yeah. <laughs> uh, abortion bans with no exceptions for a rape or incest that's supported by 10% of people in Ohio. Right. So don't change, don't let them change the topic from the toxic positions, take it to their extremes. Yeah. And so I think they're basically giving huge opportunities by being those extremists, which again, if we do our job going to 24, and this, this goes to your last part of your question, what should we do in the meantime? Not, I mean, we need to pay attention, Mm -hmm. but don't spend hours just watching them. Go register some voters. Make sure (laughs) that we have a candidate recruited in every single state house district in the nation. Mm -hmm. We leave so many districts uncontested. 
That means extremists never are held accountable. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm actually writing a sequel to my first book because people wanted to get to the solutions. And I get to that in the first book, but I want to have a book only about them. There's so many ways that people right now through next November could be organizing for democracy in their own community. And so my number one advice to your question is we don't just watch the Republican debates and tweet and tweet about them, although I will be doing that as well. Right. <laughs> Spend most of the time not watching them at all, but getting our side organized. Because if yeah. we turn out in big numbers and if we have reasonable conversations with swing voters, there's no reason we shouldn't have a very good 24 mm-hmm. up and down the ballot. But but don't watch them. Do our side. Do our part. Get our votes out and, and talk to everyday people who aren't nearly uh, close, who aren't anywhere close to the extreme views that these guys will be exhibiting for the next, what, 18 months or so. Yeah, definitely. That's really good advice. And I think, you know, a lot of us tend to put that off until the last minute. And your point can't be stressed enough that our state legislatures are so important and will be the things that will save us. So the earlier you can get involved, the better. And now my next question is just regarding Trump, Donald Trump and his bid for presidency. Now, it's my take that I don't think he will be the nominee. There are a lot of people out there, and I understand, uh, how could I say this? I mean, I get it. I understand he is still the leader of the party. He is um, losing popularity to a degree, at least within the leaders of the party, but they can't shake him. And so I do see a lot of people with prominence making the assumption that it's very possible he could be the 24 nominee, although I just don't think that. But I'm curious, how do you see 24 playing out as far as Trump is concerned and what's happening to him? So I'm one of the people who thinks, uh, well, his biggest opponent is, are the investigations into him? Yeah. If those come on really hard, they, they potentially seek him, sink him. Although maybe in the short term they give him more energy. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually – I don't – now this is easy to say, but I keep looking back at what he did to that field yeah. uh, of Ted Cruz, <laughs> who was a champion debater. Yeah. Ted Cruz is around my age, okay? I heard about him from other people who were in debate. Like the hmm. guy is – he's really hard to watch. Yeah. But he, he he this guy was one of the best in the country. Wow. Trump destroyed him. Yeah. Rubio looked terrible. He was <laughs> right. Jeb was low energy. And I actually think on a debate stage, I don't think Ron DeSantis would be as good as Ted Cruz. Yeah. I right. think that this this is sort of a of a, a stage of who has a stage presence mm-hmm. is willing to go further, sound more crazy, be tougher. <laughs> And I hate to say it, I think that in that game, I think Trump will beat DeSantis. I don't think I think DeSantis will look small. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe there's someone else who wouldn't. Let's Mm -hmm. say, you know, someone who's as crazy as Trump. But and and so much of the primary is going to be about that sort of who's the big dog on Mm -hmm. that stage. That's a good point. You know, I think the Koch brothers wish it weren't that. They didn't want Trump in the first place, probably because he's kind of ruining a lot of their plans with with being so undisciplined about everything but i actually think in sort of that in in the way in which they're being sized up i don't i think that trump is the favorite Mm -hmm. not his his popularity might go up and down but at that moment and in my sense from people i know in florida and even the moments i've seen him 
DeSantis is actually not all that comfortable in his skin. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have like some charismatic side. No, you know, you know, there were moments when Chris Kirstie was governor of New Jersey. People forget this will sound odd to say it. He could have moments of charisma. Mm -hmm. He was a he was a little bit of a star for a while because of that. Mm -hmm. I don't think DeSantis is, brings as much to a debate as even Chris Christie did. Wow. And so I actually <laughs> think that that I think that field, especially if it stays somewhat crowded, mm -hmm. gets swallowed up pretty quickly by Trump's wow. much bigger and and in the uh, you know bolder personality. Um, and I, by the way, that could be good or bad. I mean, any, any right. day that Trump is close to the White House is a bad day. But in the general election, for all the reasons we've talked about, Trump may be, may be an easier guy to beat than DeSantis hmm. um, or whoever else. Mm -hmm. But I, I haven't seen anyone come along now who, when I think about that debate stage <sighs> and that big stage, I don't see them. And, and so far, they're not showing it. They're mm -hmm. all afraid to say anything negative about Trump. Yeah. You know, they're already being bullied by him. Right. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and if he's if he sees that, I mean, by the way, th this nickname he's come up with, DeSantis, is ridiculous. <laughs> he needs to come up with a better one than meatball. Was it Sanctimonious or whatever. Oh, Sanctimonious. But, but I heard him call him Meatball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that actually may be a better one. But I think that overall, like, he bu he bullied that entire field. Yeah. They all they all collapsed. Mm -hmm. The one day Rubio tried to get tough. Remember after that one debate? <laughs> For a couple days, he tried to sound yes. tough and was horrible at it. I know. And I, I just right now I don't see anyone overcoming that. Hmm. Uh, the other, like, is there another real tough, like, you know, uh, someone who can grab the mic? Yeah. Right now, I don't see it. No. And so I don't. That's a long way of saying I think I think his much bigger risk are the criminal processes against him. Yeah. And the investigations than this field that we're seeing so far, even with all the money and, and yeah. Even with all the Republicans who don't want him, uh, until until they knock him off, I just don't see, I don't see it yet. So let um, me ask you this then. Okay, let's say going along with what you know, that's lot that's logic. I can I get that logic, and I can see your point. Um, but let's say he gets the GOP nomination. Do you, I mean he already lost? In my view, I mean he lost 2017. He he, he clearly lost 28 uh, 2018. He lost 2020 and 22. So yeah. do you think going up against Biden now, we've got two years to go with Biden, assuming right. he's going to continue down this path of being fucking dark Brandon and a badass. Like, do, <laughs> do you think that he is going to like, do you think that favors Biden? Do you think it would be close? Do you, how do you see that panning out? I, mean, if I don't take anything for granted, but I, I mean, normally America has never been that excited about reviving someone who they already said right up. yep yeah and That's so i i think that you know you you lose if you ever get complacent so you'd want to find every single voter who showed up in yeah 20 and do it again but given everything we're seeing i mean i would think that he probably has a better chance of winning arizona by does by more yeah. interesting okay michigan i would hope would be a better place to yeah. win pennsylvania just elected fetterman yeah. uh, i would think that that the states that we just won to get to to get Biden in twenty, I would think they'd be places where we could grow. Yeah, if we did it well, and and you know, would would Trump do well in the states he won? Yeah, maybe there's a state somewhere we could flip, but I don't. You know, Trump has seems a little. No, Trump's not going to lose a lot of his people, mm -hmm. but I think that potentially even more swing voters um, um, maybe 
go our way. But but hmm. uh, always, of course, run scared. Like don't mm-hmm. right don't exactly. Look at a pole, think your head yeah. and all that. But but I do think that Trump, he does get his people out, but he also helps get people out on the other side. Yeah. Um, and in, in some ways, that's why I think a lot of people I know are more worried about DeSantis sort of pushing a reset button. Now, mm. You and I may see what he's doing in Florida and think it's as anti-democracy as Trump, but a whole lot of other people may think may not see that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think some of these other candidates, if they made it through, you know, even a Nikki Haley or a mm-hmm. DeSantis would probably be more worrisome. If you're the yes. Biden team, then Trump himself. You know, I agree. They're 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 a next generation, and mm-hmm. that you know, if it's Trump, Biden, and Trump are around the same age. If yes. if um, they may feel more moderate, even though they're not. In mm-hmm. some ways, they may feel they may be more disciplined. They may know how to pivot to the middle. You mm-hmm. know, which is something that you generally are supposed to do. You know, in a general election, yeah. Trump doesn't know how to do. So I think there's, I, I think Trump. Um, you know he'll get his turnout, and I'm driving in a more mm-hmm. red part of Ohio right now. <laughs> They'll show up in red Ohio mm-hmm. in a way in a, in a way that maybe they won't for those Republicans, but the other ones. But there also may be a lot of swing voters who would who would be more open to um, another candidate besides Trump that just aren't going to vote for Trump. Yeah. Wow, that that's an interesting. I, I really, I think I'm going to have to kind of reorganize what I'm thinking because based on what you said, especially about those debates, you really have a good point. So. I'm gonna... I mean, I, but I also don't. Again, I don't. I never. I'm not holding my breath. But yeah, at the same time, it's hard to see me. I think a lot of these people are running because they assume something's going to take Trump down anyway. Right. Yeah. I, I think you know. I, does Nikki Haley really want to be in a head-to-head with Donald Trump? <laughs> no. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but I think I. You know, they're they're rolling the dice. They're looking at at you know the time and thinking this is kind of the year I need to run. And who knows? You know, Jack Smith is inter- is interviewing a lot of people. Maybe something drops and and Trumps out, and then all of a sudden it reopens it. So I think that that again, that's the big unknown that I think has is far more of the sort of dangerous right. torpedo heading at Trump than any of these candidacies. But but I don't I don't when I say that I'm not saying it won't happen. I I think it could very well happen. Mm-hmm. And if that happens again, if it's just an indictment followed by months of nothing, I think maybe Trump even gets empowered by that but if it yeah. looks like he's in real trouble from a criminal standpoint then 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 those other candidates move into the gap wow interesting okay real quick i wanted to ask you about this um toxic spill which is what you were talking about on msnbc mm-hmm. i know you posted an article uh norfolk uh, norfolk southern on our okay wait hold on it was just basically talking about how the um so it's norfolk southern piled a whole bunch of Ohio politicians with money. And right. so, you know, years of killing Ohio bills designed to make the railroad safer. State houses like Ohio are paid to do the bidding, blah, blah, blah. So what do you, I just want to, I haven't been following the story too closely, so pardon my ignorance, but I just like to get your take on it and how to, you know, how do we go about fixing all of this so this doesn't happen again? Yeah, so so bigger picture, I was just on a on a call before we talked, we, we were talking with a book club in Michigan. And my, again, my first book is called the, the book I finished a couple years ago. is called laboratories of a mm-hmm. And it's basically all about how state houses have become the place where far right interests get their agenda accomplished. Um, because no one knows what's happening in state houses. They're so gerrymandered. No one's ever accountable. And as someone on this call said that I was just on with this book club, we were talking about the book. 
I, they felt like this accident is the perfect summary example of what my book's about. And it, and it really is. Um, so basically, state houses that are locked up and gerrymandered by the right are the front line of the attack on democracy. It's where they suppress the vote. It's where they gerrymander. It's, it's where most of it happens. It's not happening in Washington. It's happening in state houses. But state houses are also where major interests basically go to get their bidding done at the expense of the public, mm -hmm. whether it's bailouts, for-profit schools using public taxpayer, public education dollars, or the deregulation of everything. And the agenda is basically a massive giveaway to the private from the public, paid for by the public. And as I go through my book and I go through in videos and I this this accident, no one pays the price more of all this than smaller towns hmm. or mm -hmm. poor urban areas that are even more challenged in this 21st century economy mm -hmm. who have no one going to bat for their interests. No. And, and this is a perfect example where Norfolk Southern at the state level is, is one of the many groups that piles money on top of the politicians, the governor on down, and basically spends years killing every effort that ever comes up to improve rail safety in any way. Now, I'm not saying that's the reason for this accident. Uh, they're still investing it. I don't want to get, get ahead of that investigation, but mm -hmm. we're talking about rules that would add a second person uh, you know, at, at the engine of the train. Um, yes. we're, we're talking about, you know, in Washington, obviously, Trump getting rid of the, um, the rule that was going to lead to electronic braking. I mean, it's a nonstop push for what the private wants and who pays the price when that train mm -hmm. crashes. The people of East Palestine, Ohio, who, for the most part, aren't watching their state house. Yeah. And so it's really painful. Like the minute the crash happens, just like, you know, whenever whenever any other consequences happen as a result of lack of regulation, let's call it the opioid crisis mm -hmm. comes from lack of regulation, mm -hmm. pain pill, of, of pain medicine. The foreclosure crisis comes of lack of regulation of, of, of housing markets back in the day. Whenever this stuff happens and hits small towns, the the right that's whose actual agenda has been leading to all this has to freak out and figure out how to blame Democrats in any way they can. Yeah. When in fact it's sort of this trickle down deregulatory politics that is that is making towns and communities suffer while the private sector gains. So it's to me it's sort of the perfect symbolism of of what's happening. And I. I I say all that. Then obviously, the first thing we got to worry about is helping the people of, of this town and the yes. community around it, and and more transparency. They have not been served well by lack of transparency. I think it looks from a distance like the company's been handling too much of the testing. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want my water tested by the very company that right. had the accident. For yeah. goodness' sakes. Well, that happened. I mean, yeah. so there's a lot in the short term to do. So I don't mean to get off onto this broader point. But the broader point is, and I, I talk about this all the time, small towns across states are dying, and they're dying largely because of trickle in economics mm -hmm. uh, led by the very people they vote for. And Democrats have to be a lot more aggressive about showing that they can do better for these places than these Republicans have been doing for them. Yeah. And Republicans are desperate to hide that fact. And that's why the minute something happens in a town like this, what are they doing? You know, Trump's running there to blame mm -hmm. Pete Buttigieg mm -hmm. or something else rather than have people figure out, oh, actually, we're the ones who took all the Norfolk Southern money 
to never add any safety to our rails in Ohio. That's a lot. That is a lot more to do with that's happening. Yes. Than, than what Pete Buttigieg has done in the last year and a half. <laughs> so true. Oh my God. Well, you know, before we go, I want, I, I, I don't ask this of everybody, but I want to ask this of you, even though I can barely speak today. Um, what do you think we have to be hopeful about? We've got two years. So before the next big election. So what do you think we have to be hopeful about? I mean, I hate to say it because I, I, people may think this is nightly optimistic from a guy who wrote a book called Laboratory Autocracy. <laughs> but I actually think we, we have a huge opportunity. Uh-huh. Uh, they are, they really are on the far extreme, yes. and way out of the mainstream of where American uh, voters are. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason why, again, we should not celebrate twenty two like democracy was just saved. Right. We, we picked up a Senate seat. We lost a House. Yeah. It was mixed. But the mm-hmm. reason there was overperformance of those Secretary of State races and, and in some cases the federal races and especially the state house races, is because one their brand is too toxic and two, we're starting to see some of this sort of organic infrastructure build up at levels where we need it. Mm-hmm. And so for 24, I think their toxic brand is going to be on full display at the U.S. House mm-hmm. and at the presidential campaigns. And if we are smart and keep organizing in some of the ways that led to some of the successes in 22, we should use that opportunity not just to win the House, the, the presidency, but to win back the House, mm-hmm. hold on to the Senate. That may be the hardest of the three. Mm-hmm. But then, again, go down through all the way to school boards, for goodness sakes, mm-hmm. and throw out this anti-democracy toxic stuff at all levels. Because until we start throwing it out all levels, they will keep moving forward. Yeah. But but if we can connect the the toxic brand that we're going to be seeing down to the state house level where it exists and thrives, and we can win more state houses, um, then we can have a twenty four. Frankly, that really that really does make not just you know twenty. We kicked out Trump and lost and did not win any state houses. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that was sort of holding water, and then we saw what they did with those state houses mm-hmm. the next year. 24 should be the year that we win federally, but take that win and translate it to far more mo- momentum at the state level. And then we're really talking. Yeah. And by the way, we're saying 24, but that starts much closer. We have a Wisconsin Supreme Court race in the coming weeks that could really make a big difference long term for the Wisconsin there. The Virginia State House races are this November, huge. So I'd almost call those warm-up acts. Yeah. And then next November is everything. But when I say everything, I'm not just talking about three federal uh, sets of races. I'm talking about going all the way through the states and, yeah. and, and trying to take what we did in Michigan and Pennsylvania and some other states and, and mirroring it in other states around the country. That's how we really start winning the battle for democracy. Okay, everybody, are you listening to him? <laughs> we we know what we got to do. So I think, you know, I, I do, I go back and forth. Sometimes I'm a little bit more scared, but overall I feel optimistic. And I think everything you said is true, especially the point you made about Trump. So I'm going to like go back and rethink that because I think you have such a great point there. So anyway, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for what you do. It is invaluable, your service to the Democratic Party, to Democratic voters, and your books are amazing. Everybody should read Laboratories of Autocracy. Everybody, it's not the easiest read, only because it's sometimes a bit uncomfortable, but 
it's just like the idea of face your fears, face what makes you uncomfortable, and then you're better prepared to deal with them. And your book really helps with that. And so I love having you on. I love your brain. Thank you so much. But before I let you go, tell everybody where to find you. So I'm mainly active. I'm active everywhere, but most people seem to follow me at Twitter at David Pepper. Okay. Um, I do have a YouTube page, David Pepper for Ohio, and I even joined um, uh, TikTok uh, at David Pepper as well, and I'm on Instagram too. Uh, but I do, as you know, I do regular whiteboards mm-hmm. where I try and explain this stuff, and um, and people can find those on on uh, Twitter as well, and finally, and, and there's other channels. And I recently started doing a Substack newsletter, which is a, a way to get into some of the stuff in a little more detail. So people go to Substack and look me up, uh, follow me there as well. Definitely awesome. And then I am all, you know, I'm all, well, I'm not all the same, but author Kimberly on Twitter and then Kimberly Johnson on Spoutable. Also on all the socials, my books are on Amazon. David, thank you so much for coming on the show. I always appreciate your point of view. Thanks so much. Great talking to you. You too. Bye-bye.